Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. Today, I'm talking to Ross Robinson, a uh, producer of so many goddamn bands from Corn uh, to Slipknot to Glassshot at the drive-in, so many bands, and most recently, uh, my band, Touche Amore. He, uh, he was kind enough to do our newest record called Lament, which came out just a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been doing a lot of press talking about Ross, and he's been doing his own side of press and everything, and I just figured it'd be really fun to uh, just straight up have him on the show and kind of hear his story so um, I don't have to so much talk about my own. <laughs> so uh, that's what I did. This is also the first uh, interview that I've ever done in person. Um, he and I are very careful with all the COVID stuff. We're getting tested all the time and everything. And um, I went in and did a quick thing for a, a song he's been working on, um, which I think is going to come out soon. Something called Beloved Ghouls or Beloved Ghouls. Um, I think it'll be out by the time this airs. But uh but yes, yeah, so we've been seeing, seeing each other kind of often, and um, I figured this, uh, this would be a great opportunity to get together and talk in person and uh, you know get personal and in-depth. So here you go. This is my conversation with Ross Robinson, and this is the first ever podcast. Thanks for obviously doing this. We hang out all the time, but it's always, you know, it's a special, a, a different special thing to be like, hey, come on my internet. I'm so, so happy to do this. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Have you yeah. been, have you been doing, it feels like you've been doing a lot of press kind of recently. Like you just, I heard you were just talking about that Sepultura thing. What was that about? Uh, Roots. Um, it's like an anniversary and, thing or something. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because uh, I just transferred some half inch rough mixes and sent them one of the songs to use in the, uh, it's a Roadrunner, um, uh, kind of a animated podcast where they have like folly you know sounds of things and, oh, you know, okay. and, and um it'll be kind of like that and and uh so i gave him a rough mix of something off of roots this song endangered species oh okay and, yeah, and yeah, yeah fucking dude max's voice it's so goddamn badass i can't even believe it yeah <laughs> i was listening to it like getting tear jerked and like Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I know I've talked to you about it before, but the show's, you know, about first experiences and things like that. So I'm curious. Um, so you're but you're born and raised from Barstow, right? Like was that I the was, first plot? I was born in Texas. Oh, okay. And um and then uh actually lived in Needles okay. on the Colorado River, which was border of um California and Arizona on the California side and and that's where my music began. Okay, like, and how old were you then? Well, just beginning in life. Yeah, okay. just starting out. Um my mom was like just mega into music and it was always going, always. It was like Acid Beatles and Credence and you know just constant. So constant. like at a young age you were already interested in like excited oh, yeah. about the sounds and, and everything. Yeah. And, and Texan side of my family, my mom's side, they would, they knew lyrics and sang old songs. They would like party and stuff when I was a little kid. And, uh -huh. and uh, yeah, I just remember the spirit of it, the smell of the water and the sound of frogs and, yeah. you know, it, it just, everything matched. It was, it was heaven yeah like so heaven at what point did you come out to california <laughs> oh that was california oh, okay yeah so, in needles right yeah so i was born in texas i 
somehow my mom just took off and <clears throat> had me and and it it's crazy because when I was born, my mom was one of the first uh, I don't know in that time period to have like a what is it called when you stop feeling on the lower. So she had me with no pain or anything. And yeah, this is like paralyzed? No, no, there's there's a shot like oh, okay. an ep epidural. Oh, the epidur epidur yeah. epidural, yeah. So um, I was like, I didn't <laughs> think your mom was paralyzed for No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> and um, so they were they were partying with the doctor yeah. as I was being born. What? They were they were making like hard alcohol cocktails and smoking cigarettes. And there was an ashtray on my mom's stomach. Oh my God. <laughs> photos or something? As I was being born. It Jesus. was, it was a freaking party. Yeah. Hardcore. And <laughs> <laughs> it was another time, you know, it was another time. Yeah. And I'm, Where in Texas that. was this happening? It's a town called Angleton. Uh, West it, Texas, it was, East Texas? Where, it was nowhere? by the Gulf. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Like Galveston somewhere. And um yeah, so that that's my uh you know, those are the stories, you know. Yeah. And um it, and it just felt like that that essence and that feeling of of excitement around life and and music always mixed in always. And it, my grandmother, she I remember going through her albums and it was the first time I ever saw ZZ Top is like really young, like when they first started because they're okay. a Texas band, you know, right. it's like, you know, um, yeah, so. I, uh, how, or, what, I forget, do you have siblings? I feel like you do, right? I have yeah. a brother who's four years older. Okay. Which totally ruled for music in that um, being four years older when I was, in junior high, he was able to drive. And so I got to go to all the rock concerts, you know, with him and his friends. So he was the brother that like actually took you under his wing and, and showed you the way. Yeah. And, um, I was racing dirt bikes and I kept getting hurt. And, um, my mom took me off of those and I started playing guitar because it matched and it matched that whole, you know, beginning of my life like the feeling tone thing. And uh, so guitar seemed like, like I remember having this dream, a re reoccurring dream where the guitar and a dirt bike was actually the same thing, hmm. you know, in essence, it's the same thing. It's expression, it's balance, it's fire, dangerous <laughs> it's obsessive it's passion like passion passion yeah and um so yeah you know at an early age i knew what it was like to be laying on the in the dirt with my legs split open and you know having a race come on after me and just barely missing me and <laughs> you know just like life or death sort of oh my god <laughs> and <laughs> you know? how, so how old were you when you were introduced to like hey play this guitar um it it was i was 13 13 yeah the perfect age to mm -hmm. perfect. Start, start a new a new lane in your life yeah and also dirt bikes were my identity mm -hmm. that's all i cared about 
or ever thought about like you know for since through elementary into into that age and um is that just so, uh, because of the area like is was is dirt bike racing like the it, thing from that town well, I, not everybody uh, it's kind of an expensive sport and sure. somehow my uh, mom was able to pull it off and mm-hmm. stepdad and it was it was really like it was a thing it's it's an identity and a passion like mm-hmm. full full-on commitment to life it's like the is, inland version you, of surfing yes yeah totally so so when i lost my identity <laughs> full-on super deep depression and all that and and i i went into the music store and grabbed a guitar yeah what was the first guitar do you remember it was it was a just a cheap strat copy sure a black one and um and i took lessons in in that music store uh, on Main Street in Barstow, <laughs> so it was like an independent, an independent shop that like yeah. offered that. There was only independents back then. Yeah, this was like eighties, early eighties. Yeah, and um, I, and as soon as, as soon as my mom saw, I was like mega serious, and I would not get up off the out of my room off my guitar. It was like everything to me, and and I just I discovered a different teacher. I got off the lessons and you know off the note pages and mm-hmm. all that give give me out of here i want to learn metal yeah <laughs> and so i found a, a a metal guitar player to teach me that okay was, and then you know, the out of high cord. school yeah yeah and um and uh, i remember just being obsessed with you know new music and records and and you know your your uh Karang cover mm-hmm. they they um, imported magazines to the little music store in Barstow when oh, wow. I was in high school, and and they were two weeks late. Yeah, and I would get every single Kerrang magazine and scour it and look for who the heaviest, darkest, gnarliest thing was. Always, and I would buy those records. I would order it. You know, it was it was that thing that you're in. You're yeah. just so passionate about and was there was there like an independent record store in Barstow that you could mm-hmm. rely on? Only an independent. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, desert I, town, yeah. Yeah, sure. No, I only ask that because uh, you know, um sometimes there's uh you know, you have to drive a couple hours or drive an hour or something yeah, like that to yeah. go to to go to the, you know, warehouse music or something like that. Yeah. But that's great. Do you remember what that store was called? Is it still I'm sure it's not around anymore, unfortunately, or is it? Uh no, it was next door to the radio shack behind the jack in the box <laughs> <laughs> in Barstow. Yeah. On Main Street. Um near the thrifty i'm sure there's maybe one barstow listener right now that's that's going whoa what store was that yeah 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 <laughs> no i don't um, do you remember what the first song you learned how to play on guitar was where you're like ah, i'm doing it other than like whatever your music teacher would have wanted it was you to learn it was a it was an eagles song okay like because i was learning chords yeah it was like it was it was an eagle song off off the greatest hits like easy feeling or something like mm-hmm. that you know because that before i was able to get into metal these everybody kept trying to force me into chords and i'm like why can't right. i make it sound like that you know right. it's like yeah. two strings and easy but once you learn a power chord it, 
it's you know whatever so you were already probably like into sabbath and and things like that yeah yeah but i mean for me it was more you know i was way 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 into um randy Rhodes and mega into rush like all those chords you know yeah i I learned those chords and then i was able to barely play it (laughs) right you know and i would learn all these like wild chords that alex lifeson was doing and um and you know and felt that that dark like vibe passion that they would have in the earlier records and and uh there was such a mystery behind it you know and it it was that ghosty mystery that like really like freaked me out and that i was always chasing and you know making a record together you know that that's that's all i care about you know with with what you're singing up there it's like oh my god where's the ghost <laughs> you know and i want to feel that thing and it's it's just like when i was learning you know on guitar chords and those songs i was looking for the ghost like what is going on yeah (laughs) and it it wasn't like a technical thing ever ever it was just i I don't know it's it's multi-dimensional stuff that is so real to me so what was the first band you decided to start doing did that did that start in barstow the first band yeah um (laughs) I had <laughs> I had two friends that like just kind of messed around with with uh playing drums and a guitar. We never had a bass player and and uh we played a talent show and Perfect. won. Was that, first, <laughs> was that the first time you played a show? Was it yeah, a talent show? Perfect. Barstow High. <laughs> awesome. How did you do? Did you win? Yeah, we won. Hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we played uh Scorpions, uh Robot Man and He's a woman, she's a man. Okay. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good riffs. And what was that band called? Do you remember? Troubleshooter. Troubleshooter. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Nice. And yeah. you just play guitar or did you sing too? Guitar. Just guitar. Did yeah. you ever sing in a band? No. No. I mean, I've screamed yeah. background vocals and stuff. But sure. Only you, screamed. I've, it, this is a little uh, a, a segue, but as someone who loves... Uh, lyrics and vocals as much as you did did you ever try writing for yourself uh i you know i know where my talents lie and i know how to to step back and encourage Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the cool thing about um the gig as a producer like as a guitar player i knew like deep in my soul when i moved to la that when I saw like Stevie Ray Vaughan or like some like sick, like a, like you see Eddie Van Halen or hear him, um, there's this over the top sense of beat and pocket that is unmatchable. And so there was a, a, a voice in me that was like, that's not your gig. Huh? Yeah. It's not your gig. And, and I was fighting it and, and then I would have like, say my my dad would be like, "Why don't you get in a real job? Why don't you cut your hair and you know yeah. all this stuff?" And I'm just like, kind of forcing the issue with like thrash metal bands that were just you know kind of, you know, it was it was passionate and you know I I put all my fire, but there was like something, you know, and um, 
I remember when, uh, well, when everything fell apart and I asked this engineer that uh, engineered my first thrash metal band album on Metal Blade. Uh, it's this band called Detente. <laughs> um, so when all of that fell apart, I was living in a practice room and working at this engineer's uh uh gig mm -hmm. it was it was a wasp record and right and i i would go in there for 12 14 hour days and he paid me 75 dollars a week and i i'd go back to the practice room pull my bed out of a box and spread on the floor and i'd listen to the cure and have like little colored little christmas lights and i'd fall asleep to the cure every night wake up go to the gym work out shower you do you know brush my teeth and stuff and then hit the studio every day what city was, was that studio in it was, was uh, santa monica yeah. and and vine okay and it was like two buildings in uh from vine east <laughs> was it during that recording process for that the metal blade band that you fully realized like i think i'd rather be a producer it was during was it like during that because because you weren't in that band too how long did that band last and and uh we were together for a while and, yeah. and played and stuff before the we got signed and stuff and then did you do as full it, u.s tours no as soon as it was released we broke up okay i was gonna I ask did, if you had ever toured before because i told my roommates i didn't want the singers staying overnight in my apartment while i was gone and, and she threw she threw a fit yeah. <laughs> like threw shit all over the place and yeah. i'm like you know yeah <laughs> and that was it the yeah. band broke up wow. or something dumb but the the thing about it was our connection was so deep that and there was a lot of insecurity on i guess both parts yeah and uh you know we didn't know how to communicate at the time so you were i know you worked on the wasp record and then you know if like you look through your credits like, yeah. i feel like it just goes like wasp corn <laughs> like was there other records like that we don't know about that you I worked did, on that... i did the a fear factory thing oh that's yeah, right pre it, pre uh soul of a new machine right it's yeah a, it was a dem was it would you call it a demo or was it, what was it um it was a friend of mine that got held up by some crips and i did a demo for his band and and I, he sold weed. His family grew weed in Humboldt, you know? uh -huh. <laughs> and and he's like, like scared to death, and he wanted to do something else other than sell weed. And I go, hey, let's record this band. He's wow. like, okay, and it was just full on, like not knowing what we were doing, and I brought them in they were all friends of mine and and we did recorded. you meet them through your band or what did you how did you meet the uh, Fear Factory no guys? through living in hollywood i i knew dino when he worked at the rock shop on hollywood boulevard okay yeah 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 <laughs> and um he would always come around and hang out and 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 i met um i think dean like dino was part of this other crew in hollywood that lived right by the wasp studio i used to hang out right behind there mm -hmm. with this like deep crew of thrash metal kids they were they were all latino like hardcore thrashers and they would yeah. go to my my shows and they really loved the singer of my band um at that time they yeah. and um yeah so 
there was there was synchronicity in the Dino thing. Okay, you know, got and, it. Um, and uh, yeah, so you did the Fear Factory demo. They ended up going to Roadrunner pretty quickly. Had you already had a prior relationship with Roadrunner? Uh, Detente. Did okay because you mentioned yeah. Metal Blade. So was so we signed to Roadrunner. Yeah. And they were only Europe. Okay. Not US. And Got they leased, it. they they licensed it to Metal Blade. Got it. Because that, that's when you said Metal Blade, I was like, wait, I thought they were on Roadrunner, but yeah. that makes sense. Okay. So, so that's interesting that there was that crossover then. Because yeah. They before eventually, they came over. Yeah. Because eventually it feels like they just became, you know, competitors when they, it's kind totally. of totally. Like, yeah. Completely. Wow. They, interesting. They, Do you feel like you've just had this really lucky, I mean, yes, you've you've had a very lucky career, but I mean, in the sense of like the fact that those connections were starting really early on, and then as you became a producer that was, you know, that did the corn record and and all that sort of stuff, that you then started doing so many Roadrunner records that broke, you know, that were like really yeah. big. Like, uh, did that prior relationship you think have anything to do with that? Um, like the trust. Um, the friendship yeah. in the beginning. Uh, there was. There was a, a, like a metal convention in Burbank, uh, that foundation forum thing. And I remember, because oh, I was- Explain that. In Burbank, there's a metal convention? <laughs> I'm pro- so, I mean, li- listener, <laughs> listeners, right listeners probably airport. know. Yeah, uh, I'm, you know, three, three uh, <laughs> me and two other members of Touche are from Burbank. So uh, like, <laughs> and, I, and I always tell people that growing up in Burbank is so strange because it feels very devoid of culture. Yeah. In the sense of like, all, you know, if you live in Burbank, um, chances are someone in your family, if not your direct family, like your folks, like work in the industry in some yeah. capacity, yeah. even if it's from the smallest job to the biggest yep. job. Yep. Um, so because of that, we're all used to having parents that are working really long hours. So we yep. don't really see them. And yeah. they're so burnt out on the industry because they deal with it every single day that they're not like going out of their way to really kind of expose you to cool things because they're just burnt burnt on it exactly so yeah. we have to go out and find our own culture which yeah. is interesting to do being in a los angeles suburb you know you would think it would just be handed to you um but so I, yeah i'm fascinated by this so by the airport <laughs> in one of the convention centers there was like a, a metal yeah. convention yeah in in corn Mid 80s 90s when was this? it was it was early 90s um, I think they had it twice in Burbank and wow. before that it was in at LAX. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, so the one in Burbank, one of them in Burbank, uh, corn played and the played. album wasn't out yet. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It wasn't out yet. And yeah. they were, they were just kind of locally known a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and I had a cassette of, the record to play for Monty and he was like, Oh my God, I want to sign this. I want to sign this so bad. Why didn't you send it to me? Ah, I was and we listened to the whole thing in my beat up car and, and the immortal thing was already set in stone. Them yeah. Putting it was out the record, done. Corn yeah. putting out the record on Epic yeah. Immortal. Yeah. Immortal. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. yeah. And, um, the guy that has blabbermouth Borovoy was in the car listening with, together it was mm-hmm. the three of us and and we're just like there's like oh this is killer this is killer i'm like really yeah <laughs> Cause I, you know it's like when you're in your own little bubble 
you don't know how people are going to react outside of our little crew, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, so yeah, that was really sweet. So the, the connection and the friendship and everything like blazed through that. It was cool. So I'm curious. So when you're, when you're working 15 hours at, you know, a day at this, at the studio for um, Blackie Lawless. <laughs> yeah. And so when you're doing that, are you, are you kind of a jack of all trades? Like while you're, you're kind of learning about the engineering side learning. of things, but you're also yeah. like running around and kind of probably running errands and things like that. Um, yeah. But how, how, how comfortable were you absorbing the technical side of things? Because, you know, I, I f you know, for listeners, obviously I just got to do a record with Ross and as much as you're known for your spirit in working on the records, like, you know how to make a machine work like like nobody's business. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you know thanks. how to make things sound good and you know all the little switches and things to turn on and whatever. Like, you know, it seems very second nature to you. So, you know, you, you have the smarts on all these different sorts of things. So were you absorbing all that confidently originally? Not it. Not really, because for some reason, my brain, as you know, I can't remember names of things very well. Like, what oh, was that record store in Barstow? <laughs> yeah, that no, record store for sure. <laughs> yeah. and, and like like names of songs on the record after we've been working on it for so long. It's right. just like, what was that song? I, it's, it's insane. I don't know why that is missing in my head, but um, I, I know the importance of what it feels like when I talk about the, that song or that thing. And so this gear, like there's certain mic pre's that give me that feeling and there's certain microphones that give me that feeling and tape, the tape gives me that feeling. There's something cool about it. And, and um, yeah, I just chase a feeling more so than a technical knowing, you know? Okay. And so that confidence knows that I'm satisfying a craving rather than a, um, I know what this does, you know, and also to the, the source of, of sound, like, <laughs> like, uh, like the sound of a kick drum, you yeah. know, the source, it's like the shell, you know, the way the heads are, you saw me tuning drums like constantly or, um, uh, cymbals, you know, the way I learned to like, feel it more so than hear it right because i i know my ears lie but my heart tells the truth so um and also you know with the speakers loud all the time there's a a like a there, there's a thing that happens where it kind of messes your hearing up mm -hmm. after so many hours and so you have to trust the the feeling and um like I'm either laughing or I'm sobbing inside or <laughs> so excited or whatever. The, those evoked emotions is all attached to gear. You're, you're known for your very hands-on approach. And I'm curious where you got the confidence to go that route with strangers for the most part. You know, every time you do a new record, you're meeting these people for maybe the first time. I don't know how, I mean, I know records have changed a lot, especially in these last 10 years with budgets and time allotment and all that sort of stuff where maybe in the past you had a lot more pre-pro with bands where you got to know them a little more personally before 
it got real intense or um I, or I don't know if you started intense during pre-pro, but but uh, straight away, straight away intense. So, yeah. Um, I mean that it takes a lot of confidence to do what you do to you know to basically get in people's heads and and really kind of get them to open up because I mean as you, you don't need to you don't need reminding of this, but a lot of us uh you know punk rock metal types or whatever you know we're we're pretty good at not showing our feelings a lot. <laughs> so yeah, where did you get the confidence for this? Well. I was that metal kid that would just only be, I'm perfect, you know, look, you know, there's not a flaw, you know, and meanwhile, I'm dying inside, just crushed. <laughs> look at me. And um, I, it, it was that, it was that, um, that whole thing with the internal self-inquiry stuff, which is, uh, you know, it's funny, my mom had this wild awakening um and she started getting called by therapists to like what is it about you and then they started like having groups and like having her you know it, it started growing people were going to her and um and uh, i started doing these uh god we were going for they're like workshops, two week, basically, right? Two week workshops in yeah. Death Valley in this trailer, like in this place called Tacopa Hot Springs. And mm -hmm. there's uh, no phone service, no phone lines, dead quiet, and hot springs. Yeah. And we would sit there and do these these worksheets and these inquiry sheets, you know, on on beliefs that hurt that don't work and she has this extremely simple genius way to to inquire into these things and and you know just simply is it true you know and then ask questions about it and and what happens is is you take responsibility for they did this to me is it true and then well you know i you know you'll find things these little golden nuggets that expose how the brain works and you know into our belief systems and what we think is true and we and we lead our lives in resentment and um just internal brutality you know just spinning and spinning like this happened to me you know like this victim thing and um so i got this mega hit like something happened to me where it was 27th birthday and I woke up just ate up from the you know the food thing and wanting to die and like I'm gonna just kill myself or and I woke up <laughs> my face is all fucking exploded from some food I ate or something and just hating myself and I heard in the 12-step meetings like pray out loud talk to nothingness air and i did that and as i was going i i just i don't know what to say to you and this and that and you know just talking and then all of a sudden this massive overwhelming relief washed my whole body like this i surrendered i gave up control and and you know so Doing workshop after workshop after workshop, you know, 
these full-on cleanses. We wouldn't eat no food for two weeks straight. <laughs> Just herbs and psyllium husk and and water and oh my god. And then um, I two months after that wake up, I did the first corn record, and I was so freaking walking on my knees all over the all over earth, like you know, keeping my head on the floor and and really surrender to everything. And in between the songs of that record, you can feel a vibration of, of love. Like there's something going on, even in the silence between the fucking songs, you know? And, and I cut the tape between the fade outs and the next songs. That's how we did it back then. It wasn't computer. So everything, right. everything was meant you know how wherever i was at that time the band just oh yeah you mix it and they went on the road and and i cut the songs together chose the order of the of the songs and you know and just had this thing going on inside of me it was that's an unbelievable amount of trust that they had with you yeah i mean between obviously you played a major role like you were a part of their growing in in many ways um but you know you you got them to be extremely emotional on this record and that's one of the parts that gets talked about the most but i mean the fact that they let you deal with the uh the the sequencing of the record and and all that sort of stuff just left it in your hands like we trust you you know yeah but i mean there's a prize tag to that because i remember them not they got copies of it and never called me and i was just freaking like Oh no, like Dying. do they hate it? Like are they bummed? <laughs> it, yeah. And, and I remember either somebody said it or I'm saying it in my head, they're just going, fucking Ross. <laughs> this sounds terrible, or you know, or something like that. Cause it sounded weird compared to everything else. It was very strange sounding record. I mean, the only the word that comes to mind when I think of that record is is like crunch. It's just so crunchy. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's, it's heavy. It's it's three-dimensional. Like if you listen, you can see all the way in the back of the room and all the way to the very front of your face. There's yeah. dimension where most music now is compressed and it's all right there. And the compression is like a, a fake energy where those guys had to actually perform the energy for you to feel it rather than fake you out. Yeah. And so there was a, a thing behind every hit, every snare, every like, vocal every breath you know it was all like me chasing that surrender and trying to match this extreme fucking feeling that's going on inside of me like you know when i'm touching the faders and the mix is going on like i have like all of this emotion coming through me and like sometimes just tears rolling down my face with you know as we're laying it down it's just it was it was extreme but I was so ate up yeah. by not hearing from those guys. And it was like months. That's a tough <laughs> months. Yeah. It was wow. horrible. <laughs> I was dying. And how soon <laughs> how soon after the release of the record uh did it did it start it percolating and becoming a year. A thing? It was a year. A year before it started turning up. And because it came out in ninety four. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, I've told the story. I, I feel like I've told the story. 93, oh. it came out. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah, that does make sense with 94 because I've, 
I've been saying it in, in interviews where it's like, you know, for me personally, Kurt Cobain died. And then I felt like I didn't have, you know, mm. I, I took it so personally as a young person. I was 11 years old and yeah. <laughs> I felt like I felt like music was over, you know, like I was so that is so cool. Dude. I was so over it. You know, I was oh like, that, I just what am else? What else am I going to like now? You know, kind of a thing. Yeah. And then I saw the blind music video and it and then it opened my whole brain up to yeah. aggressive music and, and heavy music and, and all that. Um, so, God, that's interesting that it's a year later. Wow. What, uh, what yeah. was the holdup? Do you do you have any well, recollection? Um, it was an indie yeah. label on Sony. And, you know, they're they're just touring and slowly because they were so fucking amazing live. People were discovering it and like, what is this? Right. What is this? And well, they're then, hard to put into a box, too, because, I mean, those early tours. I, I mean, I interviewed Jonathan, House of Pain. <laughs> well, I, I interviewed Jonathan Davis uh, a couple of years ago for a magazine. And I remember talking to him about it. And there's a website that keeps track of every show they've ever played no. <laughs> which is insane you look yeah. at that because like they were on the road like yeah on the road like you know for people listening like you know touche gets talked about a lot with how much we tour we don't hold a candle to how much corn toured like it looked i, I mean I, I think when we were recording the record i talked to you a little bit about it with life is peachy because it was fascinating to me to look at their touring schedule and then go where did they find time to write this record and record this record? They didn't. It, it's it's insane. Yeah, we spoke a little bit about that, yeah. but like the, uh, I, I mean, I remember, but what I was getting at was, it's like the first tours that I saw that they did was with like Biohazard. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a New York hardcore band. Yeah. It's like, like the idea of, you know, the, the word like new metal or whatever, like obviously doesn't exist yet. Mm -mm. They're not, a thrash band so them opening for metallica at that time would probably be a little weird but then like them playing with a hardcore band like sick of it all it's really weird, weird. so Mega like death yeah like what do you do with them you know like where do they go so so what they where they went is they would play with those bands like i i remember specifically mega death at the santa monica civic and and the Megadeth crowd is just so metal and they're yeah. like, fuck you, you faggots, yeah. fuck you, faggot, faggot. And, and you know, the song, it's John's like reaction to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And the way those guys would just go off, nobody can compare. Yeah. Nobody can compare. They they were tuned down to that sick old tuning. Like Megadeth could not be heavy like that no yeah. matter what they did with the sound you know however they jacked it up it, there was and the emotion jonathan was giving and the personal exposure cutting like a freaking razor sharp knife right through the chest cavity into your heart and the way the dude moved and performed it was so fucking insanely passionate and god damn it that's wow they that's they, they won all those crowds Oh yeah. They won him over. That's interesting. You know, it's funny, I've never thought about that, but Korn has to be the first metal band that actually had like that level of emotion. The first in the vocals. Yeah. I've of never, all time. It's funny, like it's it's probably clear as day for people listening to this, but like, yeah, of course it is. But it's like I I guess I've never thought about it, you know, because I feel like I mean we've I've heard you think you've talked about it, we've we've spoken before, but like, you know, metal 
lot of metal is very guarded in its masculinity. Oh yeah. And singing about wars that you haven't been in and <laughs> yeah, truthfully, or, you know, or just, you know, generic morbid visions of this or that yeah, or, or, or sorcerers or, or politics that you're not involved in. You're just True. complaining. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, that is interesting that, and I, I bet that did cut through. And I think the reaction of an audience like throwing out homophobic slurs at them was their fear of someone being that, open and that emotion. that open yep. yeah that's what it is it's it's the absolute most courageous move of any heavy band of all time yeah i guess i don't know if you've ever been asked this before you probably have i'm sure you've answered every kind of question about your recording at, at this point in your life but like did you ever feel like you pushed someone too hard and yeah. then, you, then they couldn't record yeah like it was like it, it went too hard and then how do you deal with getting that person back like that seems like a really hard um, situation. Well, like we did a a, a later corn record and and um, it didn't work. Yeah, it just didn't work. I was I was wanting to be at that place that my my guts guttural memory was where we were before together, and I just laid in, and it wasn't he wasn't that person anymore i was working with a a, a kid that i knew yeah. but he's an adult with a family they have that well, life experience yeah. now and they have the experience of all these other records they've and done yeah, and, yeah. It, it's like who are you talking to and i'm like no but yeah you know and and i really like if i could do that again i'd completely do it differently yeah you know i was in there basically trying to convince everybody of who, what I thought they were, which wasn't fair. They were right. adults and different. They weren't yeah. the same. Obviously, none of their records sound like back then. They're different. Yeah, You know, they're great at what they do, at whatever they're doing at the time. And, and I was just dying to be with my, my old friends, you know, that I knew what that adolescent vulnerability and <laughs> Like <laughs> insane, well, yeah, I mean, insanity, you, and they're not insane anymore, and it, it wasn't fair. That that is something I think that when a band gets you specifically at that right time to, um, with the angst and the yep, you know, Glassjaw were kids, yeah, Blood Brothers were kids, yep. you know, um, you get those really raw, raw performances out of them, um, yep. I mean, you got us on our fifth record, but uh, I don't think I've, <laughs> I, I still got a lot of work to do myself, so. Oh, dude, you, 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 yeah, everything was just so good. I, I, um, I learned a lot from that experience from the, you know, the. The return to the corn return, record. Yeah, return, and, and, and I think, I, yeah, I learned everything, so much from that experience. Yeah. I know what to do now with with a, a a band later in their careers how to respect who they are, not who I want them to be. Yeah. You know, so say if I were to do like the last slipknot record before that experience, I would have just tortured those guys and the record would have went terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I, it's funny, I'm curious actually with so 
you obviously did the first Slipknot record and it was the biggest thing in the entire world. And then doing Iowa was that going, did, did was that recording experience right back to how it was the first time where like, or did they now have the life experience and they're, you know, now they're the biggest band in the entire world. Was it harder to adjust to get them back to like being so vulnerable or um, not everybody? No, yeah. There, I mean, there was a lot of turmoil going on, yeah. you know, for those guys. But for me, it was, I was so locked into beavising the hell out with absolute fire. I guess, I guess <laughs> more so, not even specifically them, but uh, for the bands that you've done the follow-up record to, which is three Corn, Slipknot, yeah. Glassjaw, set the three. So, is there maybe more? Mm, Norma know. Jean, did you do two Norma Jean records? I did two Norma Jean records. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is, is once you have the relationship with them, you know, like, I mean, I've been saying to you, like, I would love to do another record with you, you know, like, whatever, if we get to a next one, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now we know each other so well. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I still feel like I would 100% become as vulnerable with you as oh yeah had been boy but, the world better watch out that's gonna be insane <laughs> but oh my god but but uh i, I guess i'm thinking of you know <laughs> we've we've been around the world we've yeah we know we know each other really personally and whatever but a lot of the bands that you blew up were new to the game mm-hmm. you know so corn to Come Back for Life is Peachy. They're now a popular band, but still not as popular as they became. Follow the Leaders when they became, you know, the biggest band in the entire world. But Mm -hmm. like uh, Slipknot is a great example. Glashaw is a great example. Got really, really popular. Um, I just imagine that coming back not even that long later, like if, if they're now more just excited about being in a big band as opposed to going back to being vulnerable. Well, there's a lot of confusion with all the attention that there wasn't prior, you know, it's like there's, that's what I love about recording with you during COVID is there is no other world. We barely heard anything from the label, you know, it was, it was our own world and we're doing it for us, for the process and not for something outside or expectation or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and and those the other bands, I don't think Glassjaw was like that. But you know, with the second Corn record and the second Slipknot record, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of people around the band that weren't there before, just hangers ons. You know, you know, there's like different management, like big timers coming in with their big time, you know, ideas and suits and you know, to take them to the next level. Like there's a lot of hype and a lot of like, they're, they're a cash cow yeah. for a lot of people connected to the band. And um, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot for them to handle, you know, cause you know, normally a musician comes from nothing, isn't rich when they're growing up. They're, that badass because they're screaming inside you know like as far as the music i've been doing um this expression coming through them you know is like turmoil and you know insecurity or you know through this talent and confidence and it's really you know so 
all of that just gets pushed aside, you know, look at this big old thing that's going on over here. Like during Iowa, there was a, they were up for a Grammy. (laughs) We didn't win. (laughs) You know, it's like, what the hell? They're just Beavis's from Iowa, you know, just doing metal. Right. You know, and all of a sudden all of this attention and, you know, Jack Osborne comes by with his entourage and it's like, oh God. Yeah. Like we're trying (laughs) to make a record here. Come on. Well, yeah. yeah, And, you know, at the time too, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of press, a lot, a lot of press and, you know, with, with me too. And, 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 um, it was confusing for me as well. And I think that I took from that super high, vulnerable uh, place where I started with my head on the floor, I started thinking I was something and it really fucked me up. And in a way that I became super addicted to racing dirt bikes, (laughs) thinking I was invincible. Yeah. And I broke that's, I remember 27 reading, bones. Remember when that happened? Yeah. Just reading about it, just being like, oh my God. And you're so lucky that you could still walk at that yeah. at this point. The, numerous accidents, 27 bones altogether, <sighs> ligaments, ACLs. Just Were you on a track? Uh, racing, Walk- just like racing my freaking brains out and and just that need for speed and and did you uh, just like go up a ramp or something and just it, what happened? Uh, you know, just in the heat of racing, I would just crash and break my tib fib and lay in the track with my boot foot foot loose in my boot God, <laughs> with man. no bone hooking it together yeah. with the bone sticking through or, you know, just leg gashed out. What city did that happen in? All kinds of cities. No, but like the big one. <laughs> oh, the broken back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was at the Victorville track okay there's a track near the freeway i just drove by it like the other day like nom flashbacks of that i'm like hey look over there that's where i broke my back on that hill right there (laughs) (laughs) like that's where it could have all ended oh dude easily many times yeah i was really 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 um did you have records scheduled to be that like i would work through injuries right like like that one i mean how long were you you had been in the hospital for a minute right just that night to give me pills and they sent me home and I took one day off and then went to the studio the next day, like barely able to move, barely. How did you Well, the guys around? weren't showing up to the studio on time. Yeah. And I thought that it would be badass if I showed up just fucking destroyed and said, let's get it the fuck on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody... it the dudes would say this is the best thing that ever happened to this record and so i'm like record yeah was that? iowa it was iowa yeah yeah holy shit yeah it was it was a really good thing for the band <laughs> yeah for the it's record really selfless of you <laughs> yeah yeah me almost uh never walking it's again. a hardcore story it's yeah. badass you know the record's badass and yeah. they're badass and you know it all matched it was perfect and oh, we, we used it for to our advantage yeah what was the first not metal record that you did during was it like amen was amen yeah, the first amen. not metal record yeah i remember that it was because yeah that was more like a, a thrashy punk sort of yeah barely any muting on the guitars just wide open yeah. chords and was and, that just a thrill for you to be like yes yeah, something different 
Oh yeah, it's yeah. so fun. Yeah, and, and still has all the same like, yeah. you know, to it. And then obviously, Glassjaw was the you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, there's there's the folklore around how that came to be that I think I read through interviews and things like this. So is it was it a situation with them where you got a demo cassette and then? met them had them play for you kind of a thing is that how it went yeah it was at, at getter's office at roadrunner he had Mike getter yeah he had a um r guy that signed like every hardcore band to yep. a major label in the in the early 2000s <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he played um he played the demo and he told me like they're not ready yet but like he had i was like i want to see that yeah because instantly the first three seconds i was like oh <gasps> Right, you know, like, and um, I we we uh, went and saw him rehearse, and the did the, you go out to New York? Yeah, I was in New York. Okay, yeah, and um, I was just hanging out. And, yeah, and um, so I I had a label deal with Roadrunner right, through the I am, yeah. yeah, and um, they started playing and um. Daryl's mic wasn't plugged in. You heard this story, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> oh, dude. So they're they're playing pr- playing like pretty lush or something, yeah. and and I'm just like, oh my god! And, and the vocal mic's not working. Daryl's like shaking. He's all skinny and little, <laughs> and he's like trying to plug it in. Right? What's wrong with it? And yeah. it like way late, like twenty bars in a song, it plugs in. And he's like, <gasps> I'm like, stop, stop. Yeah. And they're like, what's wrong? And I just sat there in silence like, you're signed. And Beck goes, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that was the version of the story that I did. That, like, so that was the folklore part that like, I didn't know if that was totally, because it seems like out of a movie to where like 20 seconds into the song, the guy tells you to stop and says, you're signed. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like that, that's like, it's, it's like, in so a, cheesy. Yeah. It's like that thing you do or something like that, you know? But, <laughs> but, um, and then, but the body yeah. chills don't lie. Sure. Like that, that surge through my body, you know, like hearing that vocal just scream and not even know what he really sounded like. It right. didn't matter. Like I felt you didn't know it. He could, he can really sing yet either at that point. I mean, you well, heard the demo. I heard it on the demo. You heard the demo. Yeah. It but was like, geez. In person. Yeah, it was what a flipping voice. my freaking face off, man. And and uh, yeah, that was it. And then we started pre-production like really soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember the first time where you felt like, like, oh my god, this thing I've been working so hard to do is happening? Like I'm doing it. Like it's it's actually happening for recording. So so I would I would hike down, like in between days like at indigo ranch like as we were working and and i would get in the water and i'd there's like a, a canyon and you know rocks and you climb down and for the listeners indigo ranch you did a lot of those early yeah, records it was at like first in 10 Malibu. years first 10 years of yeah. my career and uh it's burnt down now it's a shame but um i know and um and you know i would do these meditations and just gratitudes you know and and it was just like that was the moment you know where after like the sounds were there put up and feeling the feeling the pulse 
you know, and waking up and just <clears throat> infused with love and gratitude beyond anything I can ever imagine. It was out and of control. Was that during like the corn record? First or? corn record, yeah. yeah. Like you just had a moment, you just like went down and you were like, I'm just, yeah. just going to kind of be with I was myself on, on all of this stuff. Yeah, there was sun hitting me in a canyon with water going by and I was on a rock and surrounded by rocks and trees and by myself. Nobody knew where I was. It was in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And um, just getting overwhelmed by presence. Yeah. And gratitude. I was in line, on in the groove, full tilt. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this doing this with me this is a blast dude and i had to i was i'll I was, do anything for you man <laughs> you're fucking awesome <laughs> for, for listen for those listeners I, i'm sitting on a couch with my dog that has been not chill this entire time but it's, <laughs> <laughs> i've just been holding her back from uh going and hanging out with ross's dog carl who i can tell all she wants to do is go say hi to carl um awesome man well uh you're the best thanks so much thanks dude Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple, it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference. Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. Yeah.